All right. Happy Friday, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Learning Tech Talks. I, you know, first of all, before we get into this, I saw in the in the background, Matthew, you were you were jamming, and I can't not to the new the new music I've added to the theme song. So anyway, happy Friday. Welcome back. Uh, thanks everybody for joining. While we're getting started here, like the post, share it, comment, tag in somebody who'd benefit. And uh, as we're getting into it, though, uh, today we are talking with Matthew Brown and Lefteris from Skooks. And I and I said I wasn't going to try and pronounce your last name. I'm going to let you do that when we do the introductions here. But we're getting started. Today we are talking about learning, talent, development, right? We're, we're really kind of blurring the lines, I think, between these whole spaces and how we do that, which I'm excited about that part. But we're really going to be focused on Skooks is how I've pronounced it. So hopefully to what we were talking about before, I pronounced it correctly, because otherwise that'll be a discussion in and of itself. But <laughs> as we're getting things rolling, I would encourage everybody to comment in and let us know where you are in the world today. And as we're doing that, mine never changes. Same background, always Waukesha, Wisconsin, same thing. So let's go round robin. Lefteris, why don't you look, do the last name pronunciation too and tell us where you are in the world. Thank you, Christopher. It's great to be here. Um, I'm Lefteris. My last name looks more complex than it, 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 it is. It, uh, it's pronounced Duanoglu. Um, we don't have a D, so we use N and T combined to pronounce D in a similar way that T and H is pronounced as a delta. So I'm located in Greece, Thessaloniki. It's a northern part of Greece. Okay. All right. Awesome. How about you, Matthew? Where are you today? Um, I am in uh, just outside of Dallas, Texas. So uh, a hop, skip, and a jump away from Greece. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, at least, in, at least in 2020, right? Like it's, yeah, it's in 2020, virtual, so. there really are no there really are no lines in terms of distance <laughs> and where people are. It doesn't really matter where you are in the world, other than I will say the time zone thing. If we could get that thing solved, that would probably dramatically help a lot of things. But for I, now, I agree. we can't, so it's fine. If somebody comes up with a solution for that, great. Okay, so then our question that has nothing to do somewhat kind of to do, but it, I don't, we'll see if anybody can pick up on the connection, uh, is, and everybody can play along, you're welcome to play along, but I'm really curious, I'm going to reverse the order though on this, is what is one or two, if you want, of your many hidden talents? What's something that not many people would know you are actually pretty good at? So I'm going to go, we're going to go with you first, Matthew. What is one of your hidden talents? Oh, well, let's see here. One of one of my hidden talents is uh, I am a master at uh, being able to actually write backward. Um, so completely <laughs> cursive and print from right to left, backward, reverse, so that you hold it up in a mirror and it looks normal. Really? Yeah, it used to drive my uh, my teachers in in school a little bit mad um, if I was feeling particularly, you know, like feeling myself that day. I might write my paper backward and then. Have a conversation with a teacher about just hold it up to a mirror to read it okay okay so this tells me two <laughs> things about you first of all first of all one it tells me right you, you like to challenge right you know things a bit i can see just kind of trying to drive your teachers now it tells me that but learning to write backwards perfectly that's not something you picked up like in an afternoon one day where you're like you know what i think i'm gonna kind of build you know how what even made you decide to pick up that talent um, 
most like most other things that was boredom. Um, okay. Right. Like instead of doodling, I, I started how to write backwards. <laughs> I was doodling one day and then I noticed that like it, it was just natural um, to write. And then I started comparing my normal forward writing to my reverse writing and uh, they were almost identical. And I was like, that seems pretty fun. Lefteris, <laughs> did you know this about Matthew? Does he do this to you? Do you receive? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, and I'm impressed. You know, I'm surprised. No, I didn't know that. Um, okay. This is interesting. <laughs> okay. So now, next time, next time you are in person together, you're going to get a handwritten <laughs> note from Matthew that you're only going to be able to decrypt by going into the bathroom and holding it up to the mirror. <laughs> I want to see this. I got to see this. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right, Lefteris, you're up. What is your what is one of your hidden talents? Uh, it's less impressive than Matthew's uh, talent. <laughs> he did set uh, the bar pretty high. To uh, be he fair, set he set the bar high, pretty yeah. high. Yeah, exactly. So it's maybe boring. Um, I love writing and teaching, honestly. So at some point, I would love to write my book. And I love teaching because I really like, you know, the idea of um, explaining complex matters in a most simple way. Um, so I have a passion for both of those. Okay, so you pick two: writing and teaching. Although they are interconnected, so do you yeah, have a goal? To, do you have a goal to author a book or something like that? Is that one of your like yes. life goals? Yes, exactly. Okay, all right. Well, makes sense. So mine, I wouldn't. I personally would not say this is a hidden talent, but if you ask people who've been around me, they would say. It is. And I, I don't know that I agree with them, but I, people always try and encourage me. So I actually, I love to dance. I love to dance. I don't like to dance in front of people, but I, I've practiced, right? Dubstep, I can pop and lock, you know, I, but I don't like, it usually takes maybe a cocktail or two for it to come out in public. But once it's out, like watch out, like I will tear up the dance floor, something fierce if I have to. I still think I look ridiculous, but other people seem to think, it's not that terrible. So I guess that's that's my go-to if I had to. All right. So I, I, I feel like we need to see you um, perhaps recreate the history, the history of dance. Oh, uh, no, 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 no. You want me to start, you know, gliding or moonwalking across behind my chair? I might be able to do that. Probably, <laughs> I'm probably not going to feel comfortable doing that on, on my live stream, even though I could. Okay. <laughs> So, so let's, let's shift gears here. So we're talking about scooks. We're talking about a lot of different things um, on this. And so the first question I will just ask is, and I position this to both of you, but when people, you, we talked about before we went live, Hey, you know, when you're at a trade show and people walk up one, you catch them with the pronunciation of it. But obviously one of that first questions is, so what is it? What do you do? And I'm curious, how do you answer that? Or how do you describe it when people ask? You decide who goes first. Matthew can go first. Matthew. <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> um, so we are, uh, generally speaking, I, I start the conversation with, you know what an LMS is, right? Okay. Yep. So we're that plus, 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 plus. Um, okay. we, we've invested the time to really think about the mechanics of what, what occupies that space, but then also on the practitioner side, understanding that there's more that needs to be part of that conversation than just the, the compliance aspect, the, the traditional right. LMS type thing. So uh, we expand into a more well-rounded talent development experience that um, kind of brings the elements of HR and learning together in a meaningful way. Okay. Lefteris, anything you would add to it? Because I have a follow-up question, but I want to wait and give you a chance to answer first. 
Yeah, no, I think Matthew described it very well. And to summarize, we try to cover learning and all the other pieces that we feel that should be connected um, so that we can create synergies out of that connection. Okay. So my follow-up question, you talked about the fact it's LMS plus, 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 plus. Did it start? I'm always curious the history, the journey of the tech. Did it start as an LMS and then you said, hey, you know what, right, for this really to work? Or did you come into it and say, we need to do more than that out of the gate? I'm just curious that transformation journey and if it started that way or not. Yeah, um, actually, um, so how it started, it was a spontaneous decision. I was with another company, and so okay. I because I love teaching, so I thought that learning, I always believe that learning is very important. Um, and so I tried to introduce um, learning solutions um, with the company, and so I looked at several LMS, it was about 10 years ago. And my sense was that those products um, were mostly designed to manage the learning process yeah. um, coming out of the learning management system rather than um, really supporting um, you know, and helping people learn, which I thought it's a fundamental difference. And I was looking to find a solution that would really help people learn and would help the organization to build collective knowledge. And by trying to build a product that would um, help people learn, you would have to mimic everything that we're doing in the real life and how we really learn. And this is not just attending, you know, SCOM file, clicking next, 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 or just a video. It's a much more complex procedure. And so you need to bring together a lot of different pieces. And so this is how it started. And um, we started designing it on a blank sheet of paper from scratch. And um, we were not really sure what it is. Um, okay. We were not even sure if we should use the word LMS because it was not an LMS, um, but the market knew LMS and was looking for LMS. So we call it LMS, even though we believe that it's something different for which we didn't really have you know, a clear definition back then. Okay. Um, and so this is how everything started. Interesting. Well, and I think one of the things that's interesting about that is it is... The LMS gets a bad rap. It does get a bad rap. And I, I feel for it. You're my, how do you feel for an LMS, right? But but you feel for it because the reality is it is solving a problem. Like it was designed to solve a problem, to your point, to administrate our learning operations. Where it, yep. where it kind of fell short was we started expecting more of it. And it really wasn't designed, at least a lot of them were not really designed with that additional functionality in mind. And I think that's where we've seen a lot of shifts over the years of these like hybrids and you know all this kind of stuff. So it's interesting you kind of said, hey, how do we manage this more holistically? But to the challenge of the categories, that's a tough challenge to, to get around because people do, they're familiar with an LMS and that's a term that resonates. But what were you gonna say? Yeah. yeah, no, exactly. And it's also another fundamental change in the first category uh, talking about the process, yeah. your your primary um, stakeholder is actually whoever is responsible for managing the operation yeah. part of things. When you switch and, and, and when you build a system that's really target the end user, I mean the learner, um, so you just change what, who your primary stakeholder is. And, and in order to be able to do this, there was a need to build a consumer product Okay. Um, it was an enterprise application, one of the very few enterprise applications that is ending up being a consumer product within 
um, an organization because it's one of the very few applications that when introduced, everybody is using it. So in most enterprise applications, just one part of the organization are using it. With that part, it's a consumer product. So everybody has access. And so the whole experience had to be very different. Okay. That's, it's funny you bring that up because I don't think people a lot of times recognize the challenge that that presents, especially when you think at an enterprise level, the diversity of functions and people and use cases and capabilities, that is a massive, massive Rubik's cube of situations. So when you start thinking about, okay, if that's your target audience, that's not a universal target audience. So designing around that that does take a fundamental shift, which to your point, the original intention of the LMS was, hey, we're designing to streamline your internal ops, your, your internal L&D operations. That is, a, that is a different audience, different use case, a subset of the population. And I think that you hit on an important piece. Exactly. So with that, kind of moving into the next piece, I'm curious, and, and this may make sense for the visual we talked about to kind of highlight this, because yesterday I was on a call with Danny Johnson, and we were talking about the fact that these categories are actually creating a challenge. I think they're creating a challenge for people in on the practitioner side, because these acronyms and these categories make it very difficult to understand. So what is it? right? What is it that you're able to do? And similar to, I think a similar shift we're seeing is, is in job roles versus the skills within them. You say, well, this is a job role. Well, that doesn't really tell you that much about it. And jobs are complicated. And just because you're in this role, somebody may have the same title. They may do a vastly different thing. The same is true of categories in learning tech. Oh, you're an LMS. Well, that doesn't really tell you very much about what the platform is. That could mean a whole host of things. And so what we were talking about was breaking this down into capabilities. What really is the capability of the platform and what does it do? So that instead of saying, well, we're an LMS, it's, well, we have these capabilities. So when we look at it, you said you, you built around the LMS, that capability exists within there. But what are some of those other capabilities that you would say, hey, this is kind of a, a highlight or a showcase of what else we've included into Skook's design to address these other components? So I think there's a, there's a, a couple of different ways to categorize kind of the other stuff. You've got, um, of course, the, the kind of core LMS functionality. So we'll just say, check that box, um, kind of put all that stuff in a box, put it on the shelf. We do those things. Uh, but we understood that for the most part, learning management systems and learning tech in general suffers from the same problem, which is repeat visit, uh, right? Like I go into the LMS and if there's not enough content for me to consume, all it takes is one visit with no purpose. I'm and out. it's really difficult to get me to come well, back. I'm, I'm and, gonna, can I pause you real quick before you go into this? Because when you say the LMS capability for people who may not be super familiar with the tech, we're talking about the hosting of content, the deploying, the managing, right, of all this kind of internal learning ops stuff, correct? Yeah, yeah. Um, kind of managing and deploying all of your your learning related content um, activities, events uh, with the compliance angle, meaning I can yeah. uh, kind of report who's done, who's not done. I can assign things out, mandate training. Okay, got it. All right. Um, but once you get past that, 
then you have to look at what are the other reasons someone might come into the solution and how do we offer value? And, and like Leftera said, when we think about enterprise tech, when we think about any technology for an organization, the number of systems that every person in the company has an active presence in is right. It's like one or two things, uh, right? <laughs> right. Cause, cause not everybody has access to email and not everybody has access to the HR systems. I, right. I go do my performance review. I do whatever I need to do it, but the LMS is really one of those only solutions that reaches everyone in corporate and franchise in global organizations. Even and sometimes so, customers, right? You, you it, like yeah, reaching yeah. customers, channel partners, yes. all these different yeah. things. This is one system that's trying to hit all these different use cases. Exactly. Um, so, so while we've got them there, uh, we offer some experiences that help just give it more life. So there's engagement related activities like social and collaboration um, spaces to be able to go and engage, maybe create an extension of your learning through informal cohorts. Um, think about a, a social feed like a Facebook, but just internal for the LMS. Um, so that that in and of itself starts to create some natural draw. I'm going to pop in and see who's doing what, what's happening in the company. Uh, but then add to that some communication outlets where we can push targeted messages to one person, to a multitude of people um, all at one time, and even step out of the picture and let people connect with one another. Um, let them have direct messaging interactions, let them have those direct um, informal and social exchanges of information. Interesting. So that to me is interesting. I think it's an interesting capability. And again, I'll, I'll let you keep going on this, but you'll see, this is the style that I have with this. When you say something, I kind of want to jump on it because I think it's it's something that can be overlooked on this. And I've actually seen this with the social capabilities where some of the capabilities are only targeted at you know, kind of the broad, everybody can view type things. And maybe there's some framing that you can say, well, we can target at this, but that direct personal connection stuff, a lot of times that's missed. And I, I do think it's, you know, is everybody doing it? No, but that is a capability that does allow people to have kind of that one-on-one, -on -one, hey, I need to, I, I have a question for Matthew. I don't necessarily need to engage in a you know, discussion board about this. I just want to follow up on something I saw or something that happened that I need to reach out to. It, you know, it, it's also really interesting when I, I think about all of the customers that I talk to on a regular basis uh, with regard to the usage of these social and, and kind of direct interaction. Uh, when you go through the, the sales cycle and you start uncovering the needs, one of the first things that happens is we usually get uh, somebody within the HR organization stands up really quickly and says, wait, 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 <laughs> <I know. laughs> wait, just a minute. I don't know that. I don't know that we trust um, that this is going to be a good thing. I don't know that like, are there moderation um, opportunities? Can we intervene? Can we shut down things that aren't right? What we want them to be. Um, but interestingly enough, the customers that have adopted these experiences uh, with great success have done so in a way where they're not actually prescribing use cases. Instead, what they're doing is they're, um, I was talking with a, with a, a group yesterday, it's one of my favorite implementation stories within our customer base, but they launched the social features and the way they went about it was they just kind of had the executive team two weeks before we revealed it to the company um, for two weeks, the executive team was in there posting on the social wall. They were sending messages to people and so when when day one, you open up the new LMS, there's, there's stuff, stuff there. 
And not only is there stuff there, but it, it created this sort of implied rules of engagement. And yeah. I, I saw kind of what the executive team said as the example. It's not just them saying that it's stuff out there, but they're actually actively engaging. And so it, it gave me a connection to them. And by doing that, it created this amount of trust and respect that I've not seen it come forward as, as full force as it did because people were really hungry for yeah. that access, right? Like I'm hungry to be able to, to keep this two-way dialogue going. If I am a server in a restaurant or I'm a cashier in a retail store, or I am a business analyst sitting in corporate HQ somewhere, being able to, to see and hear the thoughts of my executive team without filters, without the layers yeah. of right, the telephone game, just, it changes things altogether. Well, I love that story on two points. And I think there's lessons that anybody, regardless of what you're doing, could walk from that with. So the one is, you brought it up in the beginning, which is a lot of times people do not, they vastly underestimate the impact of if the first time people go and do something, they don't get any value out of it. It is so much harder to convince them that they have any reason to ever come back. And that whole kind of how do we make sure that the first experience is a very positive one really cannot be underestimated because that can, I don't want to say it can kill your initiative, but it can do some serious damage that you have to walk back from. If you, you know, do this big hoopla, this big, you know, change management implementation, people go and go, really? They show up at the party and there's an empty bowl of punch and some crushed chips. Like, they, they leave and nobody wants to come back if that's the experience. And I think that's an important point you know, that you could walk from. I think the other thing that I, I really like about the story about the executive team that got in there and basically supercharged it before it went live is one, you address that. So people came in and said, wow, this is different. But this natural democratization of the org and this organic hey, you can have these authentic, raw conversations. You can reach out to people and setting that example culturally from the top and saying, this isn't a us telling you to do it. This is us saying we're doing it and we're modeling the behavior we want to see in the organization and we're going to put our money where our mouth is. And this is how we want us to behave and us to interact as part of this continuous culture of development. It, yes. Uh, Go ahead. Sorry. And, and also, it's not just about bringing people so that they can um, socialize or um, leverage yeah. some social um, aspects of the product, is that they can actually be part of it, exactly as you said. Um, the way the system was designed is to allow for user-generated user content. So everybody can actually contribute, and through their personal curation, they can also share content. And so the content library is kind of increasing, but because one person who is the central administrator is putting all the content for everyone in the system, but everybody's contributing. And also when we say the social aspect, it's much broader than just having a wall. It's like giving access to everyone who's an expert in anything to create their own courses and just you know spread the knowledge through training courses and content to the rest of the organization. I mean, the days I believe are gone where you had just a small training team that was responsible of um, creating all the training that's needed for the whole organization and whatever was missing, just purchase it from outside. I think we're coming closer to an era where the whole organization is contributing um, by putting into their own knowledge, um, you know, into the system. Yeah. 
Well, and that's, that's, it's an important point. And the reality is I had a conversation the other day about this and, and someone was asking about, you know, is this the, the new way L and D will be? And my answer to that was that's the way L and D should have always been. This isn't like a new way of, of thinking or a, suddenly the world's changed and this is more effective. The reality is we should have been doing this all along. Now to be fair, it wasn't always that easy. And that's where, to me, it's one of the reasons I get so excited about technology was 10, 15 years ago, you wanted to do something like that. It was impossible. It was not, yeah, it, it was maybe possible if you had a you know fleet of homing pigeons and, right? Some, <laughs> I mean, there, you could do it, but it was not resource responsible. It was not easy to do from a user experience standpoint. There were a lot of barriers to making that work well. And I think that's the excitement and beauty of tech is it's saying, well, this is getting easier now. These things that we've had rules of saying, we just couldn't do that before. Yes, you can. Yes, you can. And it's it's much easier. Yeah. Technology unlocked a lot of capabilities now. And For sure. For yes. sure. I think um, it, it it's also important to, as you were talking, uh, Christopher, you were talking about how, you know, it's going back to that earlier point about kind of that first impression when I come into the LMS, uh, right? I, I get one chance to capture you or lose you forever. I find it fascinating that we have so much more tolerance for what happens outside of our organization. If I think about as a consumer, if I go into a store, if I go into a restaurant, if I go somewhere and I have lackluster service or horrible service, I'm going to talk about it. I'm going to tell people about it, but I'm probably going to give them another chance or two or three, right? Maybe there's something I like about it that I can get over. Um, but we don't give that same luxury <laughs> to our organizations. It's like, you got one chance to bring me in the system. And if it's not good, then I, where you're going to have to hold my hand and pull me into it every time you right. need to go. Well, as Kelly said, I liked her comment, right? First impressions are often your last impressions. And that's how it can feel yes. sometimes with these things is, oh, he did it and it didn't go off well. And now we feel like we're we're really trying to overcome this. Absolutely. Um, as we as we kind of expand further past that aspect of, yeah. of the solution in Skooks, we then start to reach out. Um, so Left Harris touched on the content curation um, aspect of the system. So we, we try to make it really easy for the training team or the learning and development team not to be the the essentially the linchpin, uh, right? Like, because yeah. we're only a limited number of, of people. And in 2020, we've seen the number of people in these teams get drastically reduced. Um, and we're starting to see HR kind of move into a more active role in the learning conversation. But, uh, you know, why, why should we as the learning and development professionals be always responsible for coming up with the content? All right, it's exhausting. Uh, when others have done it before us and we, you know, I, I, what I've learned over the last 20 years in learning and development is that we shamelessly steal from one another. And it is something yeah. that doesn't happen in any other part of the business, uh, right? Finance keeps things tight because it's, it's specific to me and operations is very specific to my business and it's kind of really guarded. But from a learning perspective, we're happy to share all the things that work. Yeah. And um, so being able to tap in to the, the potential of if I've got 100,000 people in my organization, why not tap into 100,000 minds that can contribute content with fresh perspectives and different perspectives 
that might articulate something better than me who was uh, brought up as a trainer. You know, there's there's a couple of mindset shifts that I see going along with this, though, that that I think this is where we have to kind of flip a switch a little bit to be able to make this move for two reasons. One, I think, is from an L&D side. One is, I think, from the compliance quality side that sometimes you, you said it earlier, jumps up and goes, but what if, right, there's that. So, you know, on the learning side, this is, to me, a little bit of an identity change for us because this is a shift where we're having to accept this reality that, we we aren't the masters of all this stuff. We don't know everything that everyone in the organization needs. And it's, in some regards, a bit foolish to think we do. And to serve as a bottleneck actually puts us in a position where we're impeding on organizational performance versus enabling it. And that can feel a little bit uncomfortable. Like, well, but if we give up the keys, then what's our role? And to me, it's a, well, you, you didn't have the capacity or the capability to do this anyway. So unlocking this actually makes you more of a strategic partner to say, let us help shape that. Let us help guide this. Let us help enable that across the organization and do more than, well, I'm, and again, to me, it's a scarcity versus growth mindset where you're saying, hey, you still have a purpose, but you can let go a little bit and know that you know your value is no not diminished by saying the rest of the organization can actually do this and we're here to help enable that. I think from a compliance side, I've seen this flare up multiple times where there is this fear of, well, what if somebody puts something wrong out there? Or what if it's not accurate? And to be fair, in certain industries and things like that, there are absolute risks. I'm not gonna say, ah, forget it, don't worry about it. There are times where you know you don't need things coming up in a discovery and and blowing up you know things like that which is why every platform i've seen you have certain safeguards to help protect with some of this stuff. absolutely that said i would say the majority that people worry about is this stuff that honestly i've seen the organization is better at policing this stuff in many cases, then again, you can as an L&D function. You can't stay yes. on top of it. And the reality that is this stuff's being created and shared and spent. It's it's happening, whether it's happening under your visibility or not. And I think what this is doing is saying, why not bring that into the fold so we have opportunity to actually help enable it, have some oversight, this other things to help protect the organization. But again, that's a that's a shift in how you're looking at things. It, uh, you know, we've seen through through the course of this year, we've seen a lot of really, really good things happen in the space of L and D altogether, um, right? As a result of the stress and strain put on organizations coming through the pandemic, we've seen we've seen that sort of help in in many cases organizations shift their mindset just a little bit, and instead of having learning be the creators of everything, uh, looking at the talent and the skill set that is often found within the learning function, which is communication skills. It is being able to unite, um, right, unite and unify very complex and very and oftentimes conflicting opinions and and ideas, and helping to to get people aligned to move forward, getting people motivated. So moving into more of a role of a learning curator versus a learning creator, yeah. um, right? Big shift, but 
think about how much more bandwidth and capacity it opens up for me. I can curate 10 times more things than I can create, <laughs> <laughs> right? I can curate with all day long. Business, which at the speed of business right now should be our number one priority. Our number one, with the speed at which things are changing, the days of we'll, we'll, we'll take six months to kind of get something out the door. We just can't do that anymore. By the time it's out, it's outdated. And I think, again, Kelly brought this comment up you know, and I think it's an important piece. We are moving to this, and I'm going to use academic learning speak from things, but we're, we are needing to move to this guide on the side versus state sage on the stage type thing where that's, we've got to be able to shift away from that. And, and Lori brought it up, you know, we need to be an enabler and a facilitator and an amplifier of the knowledge that exists in the organization that's already out there and help Again, this is a, it's a shift in role. It's not our value just went down. It's that our role shifted and said, you actually have the capability now to be more valuable because now your job is to help make this stuff that's happening to shape, hone, focus, make it more relevant, help it move quicker, remove the barriers. That to me is a much more strategic value add role than, okay, my job is just to sit here and you know, do the thing that, you know, isn't keeping up at the pace that we need it to keep up with. So I think, again, it's, it's just how you're looking at it that can fundamentally change the way you view it. Yeah. And the whole world has become so complex. Knowledge is so broad. You need so many pieces of content in order to really help people develop their skills, which is almost impossible if it's not be done, you know, um, with all the people together, look at how the younger generations actually learn. Whenever my son wants to learn something, he's going to YouTube, you know, in order to see how some things work, um, to, to take a look at curated content that someone else has already curated. Um, it's impressive. I mean, this has already been done. Yeah. I, I had a conversation with somebody the other day, and that was the thing we talked about was the fact that somebody else has already done it. Somebody else has already thought of this. And yeah. I'll just throw this out there that our ego is probably the biggest threat to letting this happen. Cause this, this kind of ownership of, well, I know best, I'm the smartest person in the room. And again, that's not always the case, but that is that natural voice that kind of helps us want to hold on to it and not let go. And, and versus saying, I don't know everything. I don't know what's best. These other people do who are doing it every single day. But what I know best is how to help enable that or accelerate that. And so this is where we're going to have natural roles and responsibilities to accelerate this with, you know, you, you say this on your website, right? Transforming learning into business performance and actually saying, hey, let's let's focus this. Okay. So again, we would probably, I'm telling you, I told you we were going to get going on this. But <laughs> I want to, I want, there's a couple other capabilities. And if we, if we, if there's other ones you haven't got to, but there's one I want to dig into and shift gears a little bit, because we talked about this natural breaking down when we look at learning or LMSs historically, they've felt very siloed and very disconnected from other things, which going back to that point of the value added statement of, okay, why am I engaging in this? Or how does this tie to the bigger picture? A lot of times that's been a black hole. And I know you had shared that that is one of the things that you intentionally designed into Scoops was, hey, how do we bridge that gap? Or how do we connect those capabilities so that it doesn't feel like this insulated 
island of misfit toys over here of, of things that have nothing really to do with the other stuff we're working on. Well, you, um, you know, you touched on it a moment ago when you talked about just the speed of change that's facing businesses today. And if, if I take that in context of the, the day in and day out challenges of the learning and development team, um, most organizations find that the L and D team still uh, playing a highly reactive, I, I, right. I call it the learning firefighter. Um, we've all been there. We live in that land and it's, 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 it's just kind of our brought it out of the closet right? for anywhere that we were good at hiding. <laughs> exactly. And, and what's happened is businesses have realized that the, the way I was developing training and the things I was trying to solve in February of 2020 are not the same things that I needed to solve in March or April or May. And in years prior, that may have even been true, but it wasn't as heightened. Uh, there wasn't as much pressure being put on it. And, um, you know, I was thinking to myself, as you were saying that, I was like, man, that's a natural segue into this other part of the system where we start to get into the, the skills and performance because you're welcome. Right. <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll pay you later. I'll pay you later. Um, what, what happens is we oftentimes, the reason we get into firefighting mode is we're twofold. One, the organization doesn't understand the amount of runway we need to develop thoughtful learning interventions. Um, uh, because in many organizations, learning is, what everybody says is go train them. They really mean just communicate a message. They're not actually talking about imparting knowledge and changing behaviors and, and addressing attitudes. It's just go, go be the mouthpiece for this particular yeah. message. Go let them know this. Um, yeah, go let them know we've got a new thing coming. Um, but the way that you start to shift is when you understand the underlying skills or competencies, which are going to either prevent or allow someone to be successful as they develop. Right. So if I go fight the fire based on build training for that project or for that initiative versus let's look at what it takes to actually be successful in that initiative and other business initiatives. And let's go train to those things. Now we're empowering people with the skills. We're empowering them with the knowledge to make decisions about how to activate those skills. And it also serves a second option for us, which is allows you to see where the organization has skill gaps. If I know that the organization has a deficiency in one specific area or two specific areas of skill or competency, that's a whole different conversation from an L&D perspective. Now I'm not trying to guess where to go, right? Where do I aim the hose to put out a fire now? And instead it's like, oh, right over there, that's the one place I need to go double down. And then to, to take it a step further, um, we, we have some tools that allow you to see the, uh, the overall impact on the business. Um, but to stay in that skills area for a minute, it, it really is a natural bridge between learning and HR, between those two sides of the business. And um, I, I, I talk with people all the time about this. And I even just did a, a podcast uh, not too long ago about this, it, my musings on the fact that most organizations, when you ask the question, do you subscribe to competencies or do you have some sort of skill framework? Most of the time, uh, if you're talking to the learning team, you're going to get a big giant blank stare of question mark of, I don't know, maybe, yeah. maybe. but if you yeah. go talk to HR and you ask that question, I guarantee you someone that is connected to recruiting is going to say, yep, we do, because that's yeah. how we, that's how we narrow the funnel. Yep. But something happens and I don't really know why we, why we allowed this to happen, but something happens and it's really important to, to narrow that gate, to get a talent into the organization. But then once you come in, we don't really care about that anymore. 
We don't build our development interactions around those same concepts. We don't try to continue to reinforce the things that we said were critical for your success. And then we get to performance reviews and that might be the other time we see them surface. And it's like, great, you needed to have it to get here. We're going to leave you on your own to figure out how to grow it. And then we're going to penalize you for it because you didn't grow it right. And you for not doing it right. (laughs) And uh, I I do remember a funny story. Um, We actually added skills um, into Skooks very early on, um, some years ago. It was very uncommon. And so I had a conversation with an executive of a big HCM software firm. And he asked me, why in the world did you put and build skills management into your LMS? And I said, first, I'm not sure if it's an LMS. But anyway, I mean, how can you imagine any learning solution that does not have the skills? I just don't understand why the rest of the systems don't have it. Okay, I'm, I'm not the, the strange guy here because <laughs> you were doing said, it before it was cool. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and you know, I was really, and, and we believe that. And my response was, How do you know what training to provide? How can you see the skill strength that's needed and what the learner is missing or the employee is missing in order to help them improve this? If you have skills somewhere sitting just for review purposes, I mean, then at the end of the year, you may give them a good or bad rate, but it doesn't really help the employee develop, you know, the skills and improve themselves. It's a, it's yeah. a big shift again. Okay. So it's. It, <laughs> and we're, we're digging into really big problems here, right? <laughs> you look at the com- comments coming in, people are like, this is so true. This is how we've done it for years. And it is, it is. And you, you kind of look at it sometimes and you go, like, how have we not, how have we not fixed this? How have we not seen this? And I, to be fair, I think there are a lot of, of complex factors that mix into this. And, and we'll talk about this a little more. It's not as easy as just flipping a switch and going, oh, duh, here we go. There, that's all we had to do because it, it, there are natural breakdowns. You've got, you know, different functions. You've got lack of clarity into job roles and, it, and variations. So, yes, I get it's not a simple solution, but there are simple steps that you can take to start to fix it. And I think that's one of the things that has most excited me about where technology is going is to your point, uh, you know, now I feel like I'm having less and less conversations where people are saying, why, why do you care about the skills so much that awareness that, Hey, this is important. We need to think more granularly about skills and connecting the dots and understanding this that conversation isn't happening as much, which to me is a good thing. There's there's this awareness yeah. that, okay, yeah. we need to do it. Where I'm seeing there's some challenges still is people are going, <gasps> this feels like too big of a thing. I don't know where to start and I'm just going to shut down and and maybe not go there. And I think that's, we, we talked about this before going live, but that's where I think there's opportunity to say, you don't have to figure it all out. Exactly. But you can start digging into this. And as L&D practitioners, some of the steps are really easy, I think, in terms of asking those important questions, asking, well, what skills are we trying to dig into? Starting to decrypt and break down this rather than doing the firefighting things. The technology now gives us a better way to do this because before, if you didn't have the tech, you would have these great conversations. You would say, well, what skills are we aligning to? Even if you were doing it really well, it got lost in the abyss of, well, that that initiative faded and it was gone and 
tribal knowledge is the only place that exists. Now the system has the capability to say, hey, these are the skills we were developing. This is what we've seen. How are we tracking towards that? How do we connect that back to the bigger HR picture to understand where else do we need that? So it's very exciting. But again, I think there's some simple steps that we can take to move it forward. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the secret um, sauce here, um, Chris, because the error that we're all making is that we look at the ideal world and how it should be. And then it's so complex that we just don't try to achieve it. Uh, and the truth is that if you really want to do a great job by connecting skills and all the jobs, it's a massive amount of work and it's getting very complex. And so you just give up. But you could make small steps. What's the most important skill for any job? Just start with that. Okay, yep. put it in and then you have something. Okay, every job has one skill at least. That's the most important one. It doesn't have to have. Hopefully, you can come skills. up with one skill for everyone. With one skill, if you cannot come up with one skill, we have a problem here. But <laughs> We've got a bigger problem than that. Bigger problem, yeah. I'm sure that you can come and say, "Oh, well, this job and every job may need 20 different skills based on tiers and personal effectiveness and academic skills and blah blah blah." And then the priority for every skill for every job and how important it is and the level of proficiency, it, I mean, it's massive amount, but you don't have to be there in order to start leveraging the connection and the importance of the skills with learning. Yeah. Well, the other thing that I, I would say to that is going back to this, this analysis paralysis that, that sometimes happens is like, oh my goodness, this is so big. We just yeah. don't even know where to start. The other piece that I see with that is that sometimes, and I, I don't think I'm alone in saying that sometimes this happens in our industry is we become so focused on trying to get it perfect before we do anything, anything. And perfection is the enemy of progress. And what I see sometimes is, well, we have to get the exact skill framework, right? And we have, <laughs> to, paralyzed? Get, we, we have to get all the skills, right? And we have to get, we have to know every skill that goes into every yeah. job versus to your point saying, come on, can we pick a few that we can agree on and, and know that we for sure have this here, which to me, what's happening, we almost have to make that shift because any research you read right now on the skill lifetime, it's like, it's just shrinking. So taking any time to get it perfect, by the time you're done in a traditional model, it's probably dead anyway. And I think anyway. that's where saying, <laughs> exactly. hey, you know what? This is a skill. Like, let's focus on this because that skill may not even matter in two years. So let's not wait two years to get the framework perfect. Yeah. And it's even funnier, Chris, because you may end up in an ideal world having 30 skills attached to a job. And then you interview a candidate for the job and you look at two, three things. <laughs> so, I mean, it that never happens. I don't know what yeah. you're talking about. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so just put those uh, important skills that you would look at during an interview in the system and you're good to go for the beginning. Well, and it goes back to, and, and Aid brought this up, and I think this is a, it's, it's a fair point. And these are some of the difficult conversations that you have to have as you go through this problem, you know, as you go through this process. Yes, I would agree that the technology has come a long way and there still is this kind of manager or organizational resistance to moving here a little bit. And one of the perfect examples that I will that I've seen over the years is this, well we're different over here. Our skills in marketing are vastly different than any skills that are used in the commercial organization or in engineering or operations. And you go, 
Mm, no, they're they're not. Are there some nuances? Sure. Might there be some hard skills that you need to prioritize over others? Yes. But at a general level, there are some common skills across things. Don't tell me communication skills is <laughs> completely unique to this. And I think that's where there is work to be done to work with organizations and leaders and, and senior leaders on, okay, how do we remove some of this bureaucracy around it? Because that is another contributing factor that says, well, we can have the greatest tech, but if we have to have a different skill framework for each function within each function, because they like to call it a different thing. Whoa. So there does have to be some governance around that. Yeah. Well, and I think it, it also has to be put in context of, of what is it that we're trying to achieve? And, it, you know, it, it, when I think about life inside of Skooks, when I think about just the journey in general, going back and forth between learning and HR, we have to understand what the things are, uh, what the skills are, what the competencies are, but then we have to, to be able to articulate why, uh, what value do those things serve for the business? And then we have to focus next on how, how do we move the needle? And so, right, like it's simple three, like I could oversimplify the entire process with, with three steps. Step number one, call recruiting and find out what their list of competencies is based on job level or kind of broader categories. Step number two, make a giant list of all your training content. Step number three, build a matrix to figure out where you have gaps, yeah, right? Across. Right, let's map it across. And then once you do that, that helps you start to understand where you might need to go focus on more content, maybe asking or enlisting more experts, maybe building some coaching or mentoring experiences that help kind of shoulder some of that in a, in a more informal capacity. Um, but then understanding we, we got all those things, but like, what is the impact we want to have? If, if we put our focus on business communication skills, as an example, what exactly can, what, what business KPI can that move? Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and the thing with it, and I will, I will be the first to admit this cause I've been in this chair and I've, and I've dealt with this. Sometimes the reason we don't do it right. It is, it is, it's like, do these steps. That's what you have to do. And I feel like there's a fair amount of us out there that have this head knowledge that are like, mm, we know we should, but, oh, uh. <laughs> right. right? And it goes back to the, like, like don't, oh don't try to eat word, the elephant. All the content and all the jobs and all this stuff that just feels like, bleh. So don't, don't eat the whole elephant. Exactly. And I think that's the point that's really important with this is that, you can run yourself into this space of you start thinking of all the jobs and all the skills and all the content we have. And you do this and pretty soon you just talk yourself out of doing anything because you go, oh, we'll never forget it. Versus yeah. saying, well, you're right. If we try and do this all at once across the enterprise for every job and every piece of content that's ever been created, we might as well just quit. But if you step back and say, well, but where are the most important ones that we can focus on? This whole thing is a priority act and saying, yes. let's it's just everything. prioritize. Yeah. Well, and, yeah. and, and it could be even, even simpler. A lot of times what, why it feels so overwhelming is because we're starting from a deficit of information, right? We don't have a baseline. We haven't done a skills inventory to really understand. We know on paper what we think we need, but we don't know where we stand. 
Yeah. And one of one of my other favorite customer adventures <clears throat> with one of our customers is as as we were going through, um, they they saw the value in the skills piece of the system and they understood where we were going with stacking on goals and performance and okay. and they really wanted to feel like how do we start? How do we just get a baseline? Where do you start? And we got into a conversation and I said, Do you already have data? And they said, No. I said, Great. So go put in five skills, right? Find find three or four or five things, even if it's core values, things that are going to be uniform across the business, attach those things to all your jobs and have everybody make it a competition, have everybody do a quick assessment. It takes less than five minutes to go in and just give somebody a quick score on these three or four elements, right? Just kind of a one-time thing. Now we yeah. pull that data, we look at it, we understand what the organization looks like. Now we can have a different conversation. Now it doesn't feel as overwhelming because in all reality, out of those five things that we just assessed everybody for, there might only be one that is indicative of, of more effort needed to go focus and, and develop. So we start there, we build a story. All it takes is for the executive team to be able to see one example of that working right. Because yeah. it is, it's transformational. It changes how anybody thinks about learning and, and kind of where we invest in our people development. What's funny about that story, and I think this is a, is something that you could you could latch onto this, is that it can go two ways. You can have orgs that have no data, and it's a great way to approach it to say, look, I get it. When it's a blank canvas, a lot of times it just feels, I don't even know where to go. And that's a great exercise to say, hey, now it's not so blank anymore. We've done it in these basic areas. We have a starting point. We can now execute yeah. off the starting point. What's interesting, though, is I don't necessarily think that that's only a potential use case for orgs that have nothing. Because what I've also seen is sometimes we have so much data. So much and data. It's a mess. It's a hot mess. It's just a mess. And we look at it and go, oh, yeah, I just don't even – I don't even know – and it, it would be easy enough to say, well, then for now, let's not tackle all of that. And let's again, let's do this simplistic, more focused thing to say, well, let's let's baseline here. Let's not let all the bad data that we know isn't where we want it to be. And we don't really have the time or the capacity to go through all of it. But let's start fresh. Like, let's start fresh with this. And then we can slowly start incorporating that, which gets to something else, you know, that we've talked about is how are we then pulling in the right data to help form a more holistic picture of our employees and their skills? So I would say it's not limited to only orgs that say, well, we don't have anything. Yeah. yeah. It can oh, yeah. work well for orgs that have a ton and just don't know what to do with it. Absolutely. Get, get a fresh set, fresh set of data to start. And um, I, I did have one customer that was in that particular situation. They had a lot, a lot of data, um, years of data. And they looked at it and went, we don't want to even think about bringing this stuff in. <laughs> so they ran a quick assessment in Skooks and then did a comparison to look at the snapshot they took in Skooks. And they looked at the 10 years of data they had before. And they found that it wasn't actually the same. Um, and part of it, you were, you dig into it a little bit, part of it's the user experience. It was super yeah. easy for them to go in and do an assessment in Scoops. Their prior system might've taken 25 clicks and very complicated for managers. And because they were built more for the management experience versus the user experience. And so you have, that starts to play a factor. 
Uh, yeah. I'm less likely to give happy feedback if I am angry because the system is painful. <laughs> <laughs> I think Matthew's terrible because yeah. this process this pro <laughs> really made me mad. And so I'm not really thinking very happy thoughts right now. No, it's a, well, and, and an important point to highlight that you hit on there was one, you're, you're talking about the fact this is being done in the system. So this isn't something you're doing outside the system and then bringing that in. It's done through the system, which I think is an important piece in case people miss that, that that's native to the system that's happening through the system in that. And the other thing, it goes back to something we talked about before with this skill data is that sometimes we're trying to force fit this old data that we have. And we talked about the fact skill data is right. It's diminishing. So something you have from five years ago, it may be completely irrelevant anymore. And I think that's something where a similar parallel I'm seeing is flashes being put six feet under this year. And the number of conversations I'm in where people are going, how do we, how do we, you know, move all of our old flash content into SCORM or, you know, a X API. And you're going, I don't know that that's, that's the right question to be asking right now. The right question to be asking might be what content do we have that's still relevant that won't make sense in this new environment? Then you can ask the question, how will we move it? But I think the same is true with some of this data we have in our HRISs or other places where we go, rather than just say, let's make sense of all this mess, let's ask what of this mess is still relevant. And then of that, then we can start connecting these dots in uh, so that it's not. Because if you know anything about machine learning, you don't want to feed, you know, you don't want to feed this stuff bad data. You do not want to feed it stuff that's going to create the wrong things at a speed and scale you can quickly not control anymore. I, um, as you were saying that, I, I found myself thinking about something that I've had to say many times at many organizations that I've worked at uh, when I was on corporate side and not vendor side, going through system selection, uh, whether it be in talent or whether it be in ERP. Um, Oftentimes people get into this, they allow themselves to get into this place where they just assume that the really, really great technology, the technology that everybody loves is going to somehow bring with it process. And what happens is when you slap technology in, all it does is it accelerates whatever you have. If you're on a crash course, it's going to just accelerate it 10 times faster. If you have fragmentation and dysfunction, it's just going to come right to the surface really quick. Yep. Um, so you're right. It can accelerate your rate of failure exponentially. Jet engines flew off and you're headed for the ground. You're still headed for the ground. You're just going a right. whole lot right. faster. Exactly. A cows will be a digitized cows. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Oh man. Well, you know, I, so I told you, I told you we were going to run out of time before we got through everything. But I feel like we we really covered a lot. I think we hit on some really big, important points, not only just on what Skooks can do, but also just things for people to walk away with and think about as they're thinking about, hey, how are you moving into this new, not, not new world, but this different world where kind of what we really should have been doing all along is now capable and possible and able to happen. So I appreciate you making the time. It's been great. You know, having you here, this has been a fun conversation. I'm looking forward to working with you more as we work on Learning Reimagined. And I think there's going to be tons of opportunities 
to help people focus on their development so they get better at these things we're talking about today. So thank you for the time. Thanks for being here. Thanks everybody for watching. This was a really fun conversation and I hope you all have a fantastic weekend. 